Lord, for your word, we're thankful that it instructs us and teaches us in the way that we ought to go. We're thankful, too, for the very practical things that are contained not only in this book but throughout your word, and we pray that you will help us this morning to lay hold of things that are found in the scriptures practical things and apply them to our own lives and hearts. We pray as a result that we may grow in our understanding of that which you want us to do and want our, uh, the priorities you want our life to be built around. Thank you for these men, for their faithfulness, and for the rich and full time that we can enjoy together. We'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're uh, presently uh, basing our um, thinking in Proverbs chapter 11, and um, this is at the beginning of a section on financial principles. <laughs> Those principles will be throughout the remainder of this chapter. Uh, we began with the... In verse 24, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, but it results only in want. And with spinning off of that, we've been uh, kind of going through uh, some topical principles in regard to the matter of, of money and finance, and um, we, of course, have had a little... Uh, interlude the last three weeks uh, where Bill Zip has held forth, and we appreciate so much his doing that, um, but we want to get back into this this morning. I might say that if you think I was uh, loafing during the time that uh, um, you were having a Proverbs class, um, the first week we, were, we went up and went skiing, and, uh, but I woke up at 5.15, and I and I got up and went to the restroom and looked at my watch, and it was 5.15, and I said, well, I guess the Lord wants me to pray for the Proverbs class, so I uh, spent a little bit of time in prayer for you, and uh, then went back, and I went back to sleep, too, so, but I did wake up. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the next, uh, the next uh, morning, uh, the next Wednesday morning, I was in Dallas, and uh, again, I woke up, and I don't understand the Lord, but he woke me up 5.15 in the central time zone, which uh, didn't make any sense at all, uh, un unless uh, there was uh, some special need at that time. And the next, uh, the next week, I was uh, already on my way to, uh, to school uh, at Western Bible College when uh, you guys were meeting here. So uh, we uh, just praise the Lord for... Uh, the contact that he still gives us and the reminders even when uh, we're not able to be here. We appreciate your prayers during that time. Now, this, uh, just yesterday, I, I got my uh, Eternity magazine and uh, Calvin uh, Biesner, who uh, is the editor of Discipleship Journal, uh, had just a little a tiny piece that I want to, uh, I'm going to get permission to include in your Proverbs notes but uh, it's so fitting with what we, uh, what we have here. 
it says the book of Proverbs deals extensively with questions of material wealth, but points out consistently that spiritual wealth, wisdom, humility, the fear of God, is more important than all the material riches that exist. Those who develop spiritual wealth are made fit for material wealth. Proverbs 19.10, it is not fitting for a fool to live in luxury. But this doesn't mean that only the righteous will be wealthy, for the unrighteous also may be. The righteous also may not be wealthy, for in the end all riches, whether spiritual or material, are in the hand of the Lord to give to whom he will. But God does not prom or excuse me, but God does promise reward to those who use their wealth rightly in the service of the kingdom. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops, and your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Proverbs three, verses nine and ten. <coughs> Excuse me. In Proverbs, as in the rest of Scripture, material wealth is viewed as a gift from God. But we also are taught that there are steps which may be taken that in general assure us of increasing material wealth. That's what we've been studying, the matter of diligence, the matter of working hard, and so on, unless that simply is not God's will for us. Even so, the steps are right steps in themselves, whether they bring wealth or not. I thought that was a good point. The, you, never, you never do anything for God in order to get the reward. You never do anything for God uh, in, like, for instance, diligence and working hard, those things that we're commanded to do in Scripture. We don't do that to, in order to accrue uh, material wealth. Often it brings material wealth. God even promises that in the, under ordinary circumstances it will produce a certain amount of material wealth. But we don't do it with that motive. The thing, it's right to be diligent whether it earns you a dime or not. See, that's the point. Anyway, he goes on and finishes by saying, Proverbs also teaches us that there are steps which inevitably bring poverty, such as slothfulness, and uh, that those who take them, particularly refusing instruction and being lazy, ought to live with the consequences of their actions. Let us condemn no one for being poor and no one for being wealthy. Instead, let us pray that the wealthy will use their wealth for the glory of God, and the poor, their humble position for the same end. See, everything is relative, and we, we get so hung up on the things that we deem important, we fail to realize the importance of simply bringing glory to God, whatever your lot may be. Well, when we finished uh, four weeks ago, uh, we were studying concerning the matter of spending Again, the, we want to be diligent, we want to prepare for the future, and we also want to spend wisely. Just some general principles, Proverbs 3.27, pay your bills on time. Pro, uh, Philippians 4.19, wait for God to provide, rather than just operating on impulse buying. The third thing is to seek to discern God's will before buying. Remember Matthew 6.33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness all these things shall be added unto you 
You focus your attention upon pleasing God. You focus your attention upon doing His will. You focus your attention upon accomplishing those things that He has set before us and uh, the things that we know are His will. And then we, we move from there. Uh, luxury items, things that, that we don't really need but really desire, especially need to be put through that sieve before you go out and, and spend a lot of money on something that you don't really need but yet your heart may desire, be very, very careful that you've put everything else in order uh, to rob God and not give Him His due uh, because you have something you want to get uh, really puts the priority on the wrong thing. And often... Uh, those things turn to gravel in your mouth. It's an amazing thing how, how you can want something so badly and you, you scratch and scrounge and maybe cheat a little bit and rob uh, God by not giving in order to accrue the money to get that and, or you go out and buy it on credit and uh, jump ahead of God that way and you get it and you get it home and you get it unwrapped and it's like a child with a toy at Christmas, you know. You, you, the child cries out, I've got to have that for Christmas. Everybody's got this, and I've got to have it. And uh, he puts up a hue and cry, and you finally sacrifice, and you give it to him, and on Christmas Day, he plays with it for two minutes. He's gotten the satisfaction of getting what he wanted, but he really doesn't ever touch it again. It's amazing. Got to have it, but it never, I don't really, I don't really uh, uh, enjoy it. Uh, and, and often we, we're just that childish. And the things that we, we want and will go out and work hard to get, they're, they're so empty in themselves. The difference is that when, when you are confident that God has given you a gift, when you are confident that God has given you the go-ahead in terms of that purchase, if, if there is a clear rationale how that might be used to the glory of God, it never grows old. You never tire of it any more than you should ever tire of bringing praise to His name. And so let's be careful, very, very careful in terms of some of those kinds of things. Now, there are a couple of other practical suggestions. I don't have any particular scripture for it. It's just the broad scope of scripture would indicate that the care of wealth is a stewardship. Of course, we see that in many passages. And therefore, budgeting your money is very, very important, especially for some of you young men. You, you should learn as soon as you possibly can to, to take what you have and to figure out where it's going. It's, it's so easy for money to slip through your fingers. Uh, you could have a $10 bill in your wallet, and um, it, 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 it stay, as long as it stays intact, uh, you can hang on to it for the longest time, and then you break it and uh, buy a, a package of lifesavers. And not, not something expensive, but something that just costs a, a few pennies, really. And all of a sudden, the $10 is gone. And you say, where did that all go? You can't, you can't quite put your finger on it. You might be able to recall where some of it went, but you can't recall where it all went. And uh, that, may, that, that happens with $10. You can imagine what happens with a larger amount of money. If you aren't keeping track of every penny, where that's going, then uh, that's just poor stewardship. 
and you need to know where your money goes so you can, you can give an account uh, to yourself for it. You don't have to tell me what you did with it. God already knows what you did with it. And, uh, but you need to count, count for it for yourself. And you'll be amazed how putting that down, keeping track of every penny, will, will make you much more thrifty. And you see where the money is going, and you're able then to, to, to be wiser in terms of your, your funds. And then another just a, a basic point, we're going to talk about credit in a minute, but just realize the high cost of credit. Credit costs. You don't get something for nothing in these days, and credit costs. And if you're going to borrow money, which in many cases I believe is, is very, very wrong. I think it presumes on the future. I think also that it, uh, uh, it causes us to buy things that we don't really need. It doesn't give us an opportunity to let God supply. Uh, there are just a many, many, many things like this. And so you have to be, you have to be very, very careful uh, that, you don't, that you don't spend yourself into a hole by using credit, but also realize the high cost of credit. Uh, there, isn't a, there isn't a thing you buy uh, but what the credit is going to, going to eat you alive. And most people, I, I say most, I know some of you guys are real shrewd, but most people have no idea how much it is actually costing them in real money. Because they, they think, well, I've got it, I've got the thing I wanted, and uh, these payments aren't that large, and they go ahead and, go ahead and make their payments. But it, it accrues, it adds up, and it's a tremendous amount of money. The amount of money the American people are spending in interest on credit on, on depreciating items that are thrown away before they're paid for is absolutely ridiculous. And many times, I think Christian people would be able to be much better stewards if they just didn't go out and borrow money. Um, I'll tell you, I think, I think that for a person, for a person, let's say a person has, um, has his money, uh, let's say, let's just for, for the sake of uh, argument, Say that he's got $5,000 in a, a long-term savings account, okay? Uh, it, it's maybe, let's say, a, a three-year account, all right? And uh, he's getting 11% interest on that money, all right? Now, it, it is certainly legitimate for such a man to go out and borrow $5,000. There's nothing wrong with that at all because it's not what you would call true debt. He's got the money in the bank. He could pay cash for it. But you want to know, most people never do that. And the reason they don't is because it's 11% interest and 16% interest over here. And they can add that, I mean, they can subtract 11 from 16 and come up with five, and they figure they're losing 5%. And somehow or another, people, people when that happens, they don't, they don't think that way. They say, wait a minute, I can't do that. Well, I'd be paying out more in interest than I'm receiving in interest, right? Everybody seems to have that checked out. So most people don't do that. They go out and buy, not on the basis of the funds that they have in the bank, they go out and buy over and above that. And they don't even realize that that's costing them even more. They don't have 11% coming in and, uh, and, and paying out 16. They got nothing coming in and they're paying out 16, see? And so, uh, you know, I deal uh, a lot with people. I have more in the past than I do now, <clears throat> but down through the years in dealing with marital problems, 
and many marital problems circulate around money. And uh, in, in premarital counseling, uh, in, in the matter of, of uh, uh, people just who are in trouble going into bankruptcy, things of this nature, it's, it's given me a, the privilege of working with a lot of people and um, uh, talking about this whole subject. And I don't consider myself anything of an expert. In fact, in terms of, of, of the, uh, the way to make investments, the way to make money in the stock market, uh, things of that nature, um, I've never really had much of an interest in that. And um, I've never um, made much in the way of investments either. But uh, as I've talked with people, I've discovered that most people that I've dealt with down through the years and in talking with other pastors found this to be, be generally true. Most people that are in trouble did not lose their money by a poor investment in terms of trying to put their money into a business and make it work. Most people fail because of a, a lack of budgeting and a lack of understanding of the whole credit system and how it can blow your mind. Those are the two things. Um, I had a man come in, uh, come in one day, this goes back to the budgeting idea, but um, he came in one day and he was, he, his, his face was, his chin was dragging on the floor, could really tell something was wrong. Quite a, uh, you know, a man that had been uh, seemingly outwardly pretty successful, uh, but um, he explained to me that he was just a step from the creditors and that he was in deep, deep trouble. And... Uh, and I said, well, what's the problem? Well, he said, I'm, I'm running behind every month, uh, two to three hundred dollars uh, from what I actually, what I actually need to, to exist. And I said, well, let's sit down and let's, let's look this over. And uh, I said, I want you to list for me uh, all of the bills that you have every month. And uh, he put them down. And I said, now, I want, you to, I want you to mark down incidental items. I mean, how much do you give your wife for, uh, you know, groceries? Uh, how, how much do you, do you spend uh, in just miscellaneous things? Uh, put it all down. So he put it all down. I said, is that all? Well, he said, yeah, I think, I think that's it. He had it pretty well in mind. I said, now, how much is your take-home pay? And he showed me. And instead of being $200 behind, he actually had $300 left over to apply to some of the past bills. Now, I, I, I said to him, well, where's the $500? I mean, you're talking $500. Where is it? He made a very comfortable salary, really. And you know, he said, I'm going to have to go home and check. He went home and he checked and he looked up all his bills. and. Uh, no, no problem. That was correct. It was accurate. I said, well, then, then you actually, instead of being $200 behind, you're $300 ahead. He said, well, where'd that money go? I said, you tell me. He didn't know. Really didn't. Just because he'd never marked it down and taken a look at it on paper. Somehow or another, that money had just kind of slipped through his fingers. Oh, there were probably explanations for it. I mean, I don't think he threw it in the garbage can. But somehow or another, he was... He was letting that money just slip through. I know some of you guys think that's really dumb, but you'd be surprised how many dumb people there are. And uh, he, he was, it, within six months, 
was totally out of debt just because he learned to budget his money. And then, at the same time, he, he was paying out in credit an unbelievable amount. Just unbelievable when we sat and figured. And when I showed him, you see, when you, when you charge on your, your bank card, uh, you, you, you add up the amount the bank card costs you initially, and you add up all of the interest that you pay over a three-month period. And then that, that little interest there, the little service charge, doesn't seem like much at the time. That's where the, tri the, the trick is. It doesn't seem like much at the time. Now, $12, $13, anybody can afford that, right? And, and yet, when you take that, plus the interest you're paying on your car, plus the, the amount of interest that you're paying on this and that and the other thing, wherever you have, you have credit, you add that up, and in a given three-month period, you're paying an enormous amount of money. Credit can be a very dangerous thing. And I think as Christians, we ought to be careful, and we ought to avoid it as much as possible. Remember that the, the borrower becomes the slave of the lender. And I've had three or four occasions in my, in my um, Christian life where I have had people... Uh, for an example, coming forward in a missionary conference and saying, I commit my life uh, to, to serve the Lord in missions. And, um, and then, in counseling them afterward, discover that they can't fulfill that commitment they've made. And the reason they can't is because they've got themselves in such a financial bind that they, 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 they owe so much money uh, that they've got to get their debts paid. One of the first questions a missionary, a missions brochure asks. Did you know that? Uh, whenever, whenever they're asking me if I will recommend you to missions, it asks all kinds of questions about your financial state. Is he responsible with money? Does he have any debts that you know of? D does he pay his bills on time? All of those things. And believe me, there isn't a mission in the world to touch a guy with a 10-foot pole who's got a bunch of debts. And so here's a guy who believes God is leading him into missions, but he can't go. <laughs> Why? Because the servant, the, the borrower, becomes the slave of the lender. He cannot do what he wants to do. He can't even do what God wants him to do because he owes this guy. See? Now you have to be very, very, very wise with your money because we are different, folks. Get it? We are different. You look around you and see how everybody else is doing, but we are different. We're citizens of a better land. We're citizens of heaven. And we have the responsibility of stewardship before God. And God holds us responsible for every dime that comes into our hand. That is a stewardship. It is a responsibility. And you will give an account before God how you use that. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy good food and have a nice car and have a nice house and all of these things. In many cases, God smiles upon that. But it's a matter of attitude. And it's a matter of how you use those funds, whether you're using them selfishly or whether you recognize your stewardship before God. Now, that then brings us to the, to the concept of giving. And uh, we quoted a few moments ago, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, that talks about the abundance that God has promised to those who are good stewards of their funds. That is the matter of, uh, the matter of giving. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. Again, it says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, 
means simply to glorify him, to honor the Lord with your wealth. The word kabod, which is used here for honor, is a, is a word that really means weight, okay? It means, it means something that's heavy. And what it's saying is, take the, the bulk of your substance and put it on God's side. Now, it doesn't mean give it all to God, but what you do is you take the weight, you take the, you take the substance, the gold, the silver, those things that are weighty, and you put it on the, on the side of God. You, you honor Him. You use it for His glory. That's the, the idea here. And then it says, and from the first of all of your produce, remember God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Again, you can't outgive God. The other thing that, uh, that we want to point out in regard to giving comes in the context the, of the verse that we were uh, using as the beginning of this whole idea here. It says in verse 25, the generous man will be prosperous. The word for generous is the word baraka. Baraka means blessing. It actually is the soul of blessing. When you use your substance to bring blessing to others, then you're going to be prosperous. And he who waters will himself be watered, thinking of the agricultural idea. On the other hand, he that withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. And by the way, that brings to mind the story of Joseph. Did Joseph withhold grain? No, Joseph stored up grain during the years of plenty. He kept a surplus. But then, in the time of, of famine, he sold it. And Egypt became the breadbasket of the world during that time. It's amazing because uh, uh, in our, our uh, economic system, uh, we do it a little differently than that. You ever notice that? Uh, when there's an abundance of grain that, during the years of plenty, the farmers are paid for not raising grain, right? They cut back in their production to keep the prices up. And then during the years of famine, we simply run out. And you never know when we might have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. It was just simply in Egypt a matter of God's wisdom. And God's wisdom was thrift. God's wisdom was planning for the future. And so seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, the people of Egypt became a major power as a result of God's generosity in letting them know it. Then it goes on and talks about he who diligently seeks good seeks favor, but he who searches after evil, it will come to him. Now, with those ideas in mind of, um, of, of giving and uh, generosity and all of that, let me just give you some principles in regard to giving, some things that giving really is. And let's just uh, kind of explore these just a little bit 
in terms of our own understanding of this side of stewardship. Again, remember, stewardship includes earning, uh, saving, all of those things, as well as giving. But let's think of it in terms of, of um, uh, giving for a few moments. Luke chapter 6, Luke chapter 6, verse 38. This verse marked, marked in your Bible. I, I want to, um, just while we're here, I'd like to pop back to verse 34 if we could. Christ is talking here about the way we treat others. And notice in verse 34, And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Isn't that an interesting thing? The, we think so much about loaning. Uh, one of the arguments that people have um, against what I said a few moments ago about uh, being very careful in terms of borrowing, they say, well, but doesn't the Scripture say repeatedly that you're to lend. Remember, we're different, right? What Christ says here is, well, the, the principle that they use is that if it's all right to lend, then it must be all right to borrow. You see what I mean? But notice this. When a Christian lends money, he should never do it expecting he ever see it again. Lending was the equivalent of giving. And there's an Old Testament principle behind this. Let me explain this. God said in the Old Testament law that a Jew could loan money to another Jew, to his brother, all right? He could do that. And uh, yet he was not to charge interest. And a lot of people say, well, usury is means on just interest. But you've got to understand that that's what it means now. That's not what it meant back then. Usury was interest. That was a word for interest. And usury now means excessive interest. That's the English word. But the Hebrew word doesn't mean extensive interest. It means interest. All right. So the, 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 the Jew could lend to his brother, uh, but he couldn't charge interest. That's the first thing. Secondly, he could take, he could, uh, uh, for collateral, uh, he could state an item, all right? Let's say the man's clothes or the man's own person. Or uh, let's, suppose, uh, let's suppose it was uh, something in his house, all right? That was fine to put something up for collateral if you loan money. But he couldn't collect it. He couldn't collect it. He could stand outside his house and say, you owe me money, you owe me money, but he couldn't go in and get it. He wasn't allowed to. <laughs> and so you see, in spite of the fact that, that under the law, there was the allowance for that, God, in essence, was encouraging people to forget it once they'd loaned the money. Now, that's what this principle is based on that Christ says. It says, love your enemies, and so on. It's talking about all of that. But it says, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. I'm talking about interest here. We're talking about the fact that you loan a guy money, you don't ever expect to see it again. That's the way the Christian responds. Oh, brother, I could never make any money that way. Well, then 
don't get into the borrowing and lending kind of business. That's a tough thing, isn't it? Okay, but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting how much in return? Nothing. All right? And your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. The guy that doesn't pay you back is ungrateful and evil. He's not such a nice guy. But God, remember, gave to you when you didn't deserve it. And you ought to give to your enemy when he doesn't deserve it. I'll tell you, the theology of the New Testament is rough. Okay, be merciful just as your father is merciful. In this case, it's going to cost you something to be merciful. All right, and do not judge, and you will not be judged, and so on. And then it says in verse 38, give, and it will be given to you. That's the bottom line of the thing. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, they will pour into your lap. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Now, principle number one, giving is investing with God. Giving is investing with God. Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Second Corinthians, chapter nine. Look at verse six. Quoting from Proverbs eleven. Now, this I say: He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully shall also reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful... Cheerful is hilarious, really. It's a word from which we get our English word, hilarious. God, the Lord, loves a, a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that always having all sufficiency in everything you may have an abundance for every good deed. As is written, he scattered abroad and gave to the poor his righteousness abides forever and so on. It goes on and talks about this principle in verse 10 and following. You can't afford to give. You can't afford not to because giving is investing with God. Maybe some of you remember uh, Lehman Strauss telling the story of a man who gave a, a considerable sum of money to begin his radio ministry. And uh, after he had given the money, some months later, uh, Dr. Strauss heard that the man had a financial reverses and uh, he, he had lost his fortune. And one day the man was in the outer office to see Dr. Strauss. And, and uh, like anybody in a mo carnal moment, Dr. Strauss thought, oh no, I bet he wants his money back. Because <laughs> he knew that he was now destitute. The man came in and he said, you know, he said, I may, I, in my lifetime I've made many, many investments. And he said, he said, you probably have heard I've lost everything in terms of my fortune, my financial loss. He said, it happened very quickly, very suddenly. It was something beyond my control. He said, I've come here today to tell you that the only thing I have left, the only thing I've really kept is that that I gave to you. 
If I hear you on the radio, hear you ministering the gospel, and I realize that 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 is an investment that I made, the wisest investment that I made in all of my years here. He says, I can live the rest of my years without money. He said, but I can live in all of eternity knowing that I brought praise and glory to God as a result of giving that money to you. He came to, to, to thank Dr. Strauss for being the go-between between him and God in terms of giving. You can't outgive God. Now, you shovel it out and God shovels it in and God's got a bigger shovel. There's no way you can outgive him. And you say, well, how do you explain a man's financial reverses? I, I, I've told you before, I'll tell you again. God is far more interested in building character than he is in you being rich and successful. And God will do whatever's necessary to build character in you. And God builds character and it really doesn't matter anymore whether you're wealthy or poor. It really doesn't matter anymore. A man's value system come, becomes divine rather than earthly. And I know that, that, you know, if I don't do anything else during these sessions, if I can jerk you away from this earthbound thinking that, we're gonna, that all we're going to get, we're going to get here. So you've got to get all you can and can all you get and, and you've got to hoard and you've got to grasp and you've got to... Just keep in mind, it's the thing that keeps my equilibrium going all the time. Keep in mind that God paves his streets with gold. You know, we're going to walk on this stuff. I mean, gold just doesn't have it, folks. When you're thinking in terms of the divine, it's entirely different. I, I think of all of the things we can accrue here in life. Do you think for a moment that any one of them could compare to the things there will be in heaven? You think God is, is, is a killjoy, a divine killjoy? who is doing everything he can to make you miserable. Not a chance. And in eternity, there's going to be the fullness of joy at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. We, we have to keep those things in mind and put our focus on eternal things and not become earthbound. And you know, you will have a much easier, much easier time giving to God when you, can, when you can get over the, the whole picture of earthy, earthly things as opposed to heavenly, and you can see the heavenly, and you can see this as an investment. Have you ever, have you ever um, <clears throat> um, taken your little child by the hand and walked down and opened up a savings account for the kid? You do that, and you discover something you discover what a juvenile mind is all about. Because the, your child very reluctantly is going to put that money, I mean, give that money to that total stranger behind that cage in the bank. He's got that $20, and uh, maybe it's all in coins and in his piggy bank, and, and boy, that's great. And you say to him, but son, you, you just don't understand. You give this money to this man, and this man will later on give you that money back plus more. See? And the child wrestles with that. 
Why? Because the child lives for the immediate. And, and this is something he can see. A little book with a number in it doesn't mean beans to him. Okay? And yet you as his father know, you know that this is a wise thing for a child to do. And eventually he'll see the picture. So you say you're going to do it whether you like it or not. Shut up, kid. You know, I... I saw this happen in a bank not long ago, you know, and finally the dad got so impatient, you know, he just said, you know, hang it on your beak, you're putting it in there, you know. <laughs> and uh, why? Because you know best. Well, you see, God sees the same thing. You don't see it. You can't imagine what, what, what an investment for God really means unless you're God and you're not, in case you didn't notice. But God knows. And he'll grasp it from your he'll 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 grab it from your grasping hand and he'll go ahead and, and put it where it belongs. Later on you say, Wow, why didn't I do more? When you get to eternity, there's gonna be a whole bunch of people who are going to say, Oh no, if I had only realized how important eternal investments were. You're investing with God. Now, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10, verses that we read just moments ago, giving is giving God the best. Remember that? You give God the first fruits. Somebody says a burdened hand is worth two in a bush. To give God the first fruits is always an act of faith. It's always an act of faith. And I, I want you to understand this, that if we follow through in the principle of giving that's taught in the scriptures, there is an amazing consistency with this. God always received it first. Your first obligation and your first opportunity is to remember the Lord. You always give the first fruits. You always give the first. Now think of it as a farmer. Farmer goes out. He's got 12 days to harvest his fields. If the snow comes, everything in the field will be ruined. And he goes out in the field and he harvests his, his crop that day. And he gives that to God. That's his bird in the hand. <laughs> he gives it away. Now he goes back to the field. And again, if the snow should come, the rest of the crop is wiped out. His giving God the first fruits was always an act of faith. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. And what God wants us to do is learn to give by faith. But not... Say, God, I'm going to believe you, the, the faith promise idea. God, I'm going to believe you. You give me so much, I'll give you so much. Not that. Faith promise is something entirely different, and we could explain that in a moment. But, but giving to God by faith is when you have something, you believe that you may get more, but you give first of all to God. It's not adding up your... Adding up your uh, uh, money and seeing how much how much you can give to God after all the bills are paid. 
Giving by faith is going ahead and giving to God, believing that that's what he wants you to do, and then trusting him with the rest. A lot of people do it the other way. Now, mind you, there is another aspect of giving. You give God the first fruits, but then after you, when you see you have a surplus, then you give a special offering to him just out of love, the love of your heart. From that, that is the over overplus. And that, of course, is a good principle of giving as well. But you should give God the very best. So often we give him the leftovers. So often we give him the crumbs and we eat the bread ourselves. Have you ever realized uh, that in the offerings of the children of Israel, they were to give them to the priest. The priest was to slay them upon the altar. There was a portion of certain offerings that were given to the priests. And um, the, the uh, sacrifice would be made, but the best part of the, the lamb was burned up before God. And the priest, in a sense, kind of got the... Uh, uh, got the you know the the, the neck and the uh, uh, what's the other part of the ch- the neck and the gizzard of the, of the chicken if you think of it as a chicken you know G- he didn't get the good part that was the choice part was given to God and uh, uh, Eli had two sons Hophni and Phineas and uh, it tells us very clearly that what they would do is they would start the fire and then they would pull the best part out after it started to burn after it was cooked they would pull it out and they would eat the part that belonged to God. And uh, we, we are not told that Eli did the same thing. We are told, however, that Eli was very fat. And uh, the reason he was fat was probably because he was eating the same thing. He was doing the same thing his son was doing, taking out that choice part. No priest could ever get fat on the part that God gave him. But uh, they could get very fat if they ate the choice part. And Eli was very fat. And so he undoubtedly was participating in that whole matter of robbing God of the sacrifice. And of course, it was because of his overweight condition when he heard the news uh, that his sons were killed in the battle where uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into the battle. It says he fell over and he died because he was very heavy. That interesting? But see, a lot of us may be getting fat, that is wealthy, rich, on those things that really belong to God. Don't count on getting away with it. But nevertheless, we are to give God the best. Third, giving, biblical giving, is sacrificial. It's sacrificial. Mark 12. Mark 12:41 And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the multitudes were putting money in the treasury that's an interesting thing he didn't it doesn't say that he was primarily seeing what. He did see what, but he was noticing how they did it. 
and many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, a lepton, a Greek copper copper coin that was about one-fifth of a cent. Two of them would be two-fifths of a cent, that is two-fifths of, a, of a, a day's labor. You receive a drachma or a penny for a day's labor. And this woman put in what would be to her, you, we think of the widow's mites as being very small. Well, it was the smallest coin. But just think of this for a moment. This was an enormous sum for a widow because she had no income. She had no drachma coming in. She had no, no ability to earn. And she was destitute. And yet she gave what would be the equivalent of nearly, nearly a half of a day's of a man's day's wage. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. She gave her all. That sacrifice. And Christ commended that kind of sacrifice. Look over at Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13. Look at verse 16. Uh, maybe let's go back to verse 14. Notice the perspective, first of all. In verse 14, For here we do not have a lasting city, but are seeking the city which is to come. Put in a little different terms than it is in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 it said that Abraham looked for a city that hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. It's a principle now that you find throughout Scripture. You can go from Scripture to Scripture. You'll find it repeatedly. You'll find it in the third chapter of the book of Philippians written this way. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Lord Jesus Christ's return. Now, the principle then is this, that we are not to be earthbound, that we do not look for our reward, we do not look for our treasure, we do not look for a return on our investment necessarily in this life. God often does give us something in this life, but we're not necessarily looking for it. We look beyond. We, we look with the eye of faith. We remember that the patriarchs did not see the promises in their lifetime. Abraham had, was promised a son. Did he see that son in his lifetime? Yes. He was promised a land, a possession of a land. East to west, north and south. Did he ever see the possession of that land? No. He was promised a posterity. An enormous amount of descendants. Did he see those descendants in his lifetime? No. Most of the promises to Abraham were not seen in his lifetime. Alright? Well then, didn't, did God not pay off? Oh no, wait a minute. God's got all kinds of time. Because he's got eternity. You say, but I don't want to wait that long. You see, people that think that way 
don't understand the whole principle of time versus eternity. Think of it now. Here's this little dot. That's time. And eternity stretches off the page forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And God promises pleasures forever more. There'll be no poverty in heaven. There'll be no want. There'll be no aches and pains. There'll be no, none of the things that afflict us here on this little dot. And God says, if you endure and live for me during this little period and invest in my work and in my priorities as far as this little dot is concerned, the payoff is enormous down the line, plus the fact I'll give you plenty here too. I'll take care of your needs and all of those. Is that, bad? Is that a bad bargain? If you have a million dollars at this point in your life, how long can you enjoy it? I saw a cartoon the other day. It had a cloud and a thunderbolt and a house and all the furniture and all the stuff was being sucked up into this cloud and the clergyman standing there and the, w the wife is saying, he's taking it with him. <laughs> well, you can write that in a cartoon, but that's not the way it happens. <laughs> in any event, the, the idea that we'll be able to enjoy it forever, you know, think, just think how reversed our thinking is. You earn your million dollars in the first two-thirds of this little piece, and then you have maybe that last third left over in order to enjoy it, right? God says, just take the whole piece here and be willing to lose yourself for my sake and the Gospels, and you'll have the countless ages of eternity forever and ever and ever and ever to enjoy the dividends. I don't think that's a bad investment at all. But I don't expect the world to get too excited about that because they can't see beyond here. This world is the limit of their horizon. But you're believers in Christ. So we expect you to be able to look beyond this into the eternal and seek the things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's, that's the whole idea. That's why we are willing to give sacrificially. Now, in the light of that, verse 14, through him then, Focus on Him. Through Him then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Now, what's the sacrifice of praise? The sacrifice of praise is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to His name. We live in an attitude of praise and thanksgiving, right? And, look at verse 16 now. Do not neglect doing good doing good, and sharing, koinonia. What does it mean to share? It means to share your material things with others. Right? For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Giving, from a divine perspective, is sacrificial. Number four, giving is to be planned. 1 Corinthians 16, 
1 Corinthians 16. We'll have to quit with this. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of the week, there is a specific day to give. On the first day of every week, it is to be regular every week. Okay? Let each one of you, it is an individual and personal responsibility, put aside. It's to be planned ahead. You put it aside. And save as he may prosper.